everyone, and welcome back to the Weekly Awakening Podcast. It is your host, Cosmic Colleen. I'm here with a very special interview episode. I am excited. You know, on this episode, we love to embrace and talk and awaken the dark side. You know, we talk a lot about the light, but we equally talk about the dark. And I'm really excited about this. Deborah Eden Toll, she reached out to me and she said, hey, I have this really great book about you know, illuminating the darkness, understanding the darkness, seeing the darkness. It is called Luminous Darkness, an engaged Buddhist approach to embracing the unknown. I'm really excited, and she has called in, and we are here to chat. She is in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. Say hello, Eden. Hello. Glad to be here with you. We are here, and I know a lot of us are are ready to um, awaken some things and to hear um, your knowledge. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. Of course. Yeah, now, I always enjoy just kind of seeing what emerges from this kind of conversation. Yeah, the universe, whatever is meant to emerge, you know, through both of us. So I want to start out, which I think is a great way to start out and just read this little part in your book, um, Luminous Darkness. So on page 170, Okay, this is something I know a lot of my listeners are driving right now. A lot of people listen while driving and thinking and contemplating, right? And especially in a world where we're so busy moving and we've tied so much of our self-worth and value into that. Um, You know, this really helped even reading it this morning, like bringing back to just existing. So number one, liberation from the idea of success as binary. There is both success and failure. And for anyone committed to growth, they sometimes overlap or exist at the same time. Two, liberation from the idea of success as a byproduct of our efforts. We enter instead into the emergent, joyful, encircling, and life-affirming experience of the process itself as success. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Do you have any tricks, any trades? How do you how do you live in that? How do you live in that flow state? How did you live in that flow state? Again, we got so many questions, but let's start out with that. It's a great one to start off with. And it's in a section about leadership and the notion of leading from the dark and being led by the dark because we're living in times of global uncertainty. Anyone on the spiritual path navigates darkness and the absolute unknown. And so learning how to trust a deeper, more embodied inner compass beyond trusting or assuming the beliefs are true of the conditioned mind. And in our collective conditioning today within the dominant paradigm, there's a huge assumption that success is binary. There's a lot of pressure people feel consciously or subconsciously that if I don't get it right in quotes, it will equate to failure, um, that I might at core have to prove my success because there's not so much a shared recognition of the innate value of essence beyond how we prove ourselves through our accomplishments or doing. Does that make sense so far? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's another way to be and to lead. And I feel that in today's world, it's really important that people who feel called to lead in this time of changing consciousness and leadership leading can point to simple ways that you take 
leadership in your community and even in your home and your personal life or being in a role of leadership in a global organization whatever the way that you've been called to lead is or the form you've been called for that to take when we soften that binary perception and show up to lead from our whole selves and also show up to lead from presence uh, rather than caught in the conditioned mind there's an opportunity to really really allow ourselves to be part of the emergent process of life and to trust the emergent process not to make it so much about me as in i and my little bubble of separate self and am i going to pass or fail am i doing enough am i enough when i teach leadership trainings the first i teach is called the heart of listening and it's a six-month training in embodied leadership and facilitation we do a lot around the notion of getting out of the way um, it's so different to show up to our life and to leadership in the practice of getting the I out of the way, getting the <laughs> ego out of the way, getting the one who makes it all about me and am I going to pass or fail getting out of the way, <laughs> and instead letting life lead through us. Lead through. I love that. On now, behalf of consciousness. Yeah, go on. No, on behalf. I love that. Now, how do you have a little trick? I mean, I know you have been obviously practicing and studies for many years, but do you have a little trick like for our listeners to get back there when they sort of get lost? You know, how to get back into what's really important, just what you talked about, how to get back into that energy. Yeah, well, there's three things I want to name, and there's so much more about this in my book. But the first is a very simple inquiry. You know, I come from the Zen tradition um, to be paying attention moment by moment certainly to ask this question, this inquiry, when you first wake up in the mm -hmm. morning before meditating, uh, through what lens am I perceiving right now? Who's mm -hmm. here right now? Paying attention to the habit of getting caught in this fixed sense of I. And when we inquire like that, it invites us to step back, maybe who's here right now, perhaps if we inquire as we begin our workday is someone feeling stress or someone feeling they need to manage and control life rather than live in the flow of life or someone who is um, feeling uh, less than and then needing is going to need to prove themselves through work so that simple inquiry is a way of paying attention to the formation of i so we can continually get out of the way and drop into more spacious presence, shared presence. So that's number one. You with me so far? Oh my God, and I love that. I wrote that down. I want to start asking every week, what lens am I viewing this through in the morning? What lens in my mind am I viewing this through? Yeah, it's really, really important. Um, and the second is an invitation for people to remember the innate value of spacious presence of spaciousness i talk mm. a lot in the book about the degree to which within the dominant paradigm many people have been conditioned to fill to fill space with yes. thinking 
to fill space with future planning or past ruminating, to fill the moment with some kind of doing. Oftentimes that doing takes the form of a mental efforting we're not even aware of. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the deeper we go in a meditation practice, which is truly a practice of emptying rather than filling, we oh, recognize that. that spacious presence, and this relates to what I talk to in the book as luminous darkness, is where it's at. Darkness is the field of all possibility, the spacious field from which everything arises, all creativity, mm. all insight, all vision, all possibility. If we're just caught in the doing realm all the time, we forget to rest in our connection to source, which is uh, metaphorically and symbolically darkness, as opposed to the light that arises from it. And I encourage everyone in leadership to bring more awareness to this invitation to rest in spaciousness. And one more thing about this, um, I was just talking with a group of facilitators I work with about some experiences they had had in other groups and other projects where there's not such an emphasis on spacious presence, on emptying. and how much gets missed when we don't have that emphasis. Because when human beings come together, either to practice together spiritually or to get shit done, if it's a group of activists, whatever the group is, or simply to connect in friendship, <laughs> mm -hmm. all connection, all intimacy arises from spaciousness. And so we have to be willing to empty out. And this is another expression, to be honest, of getting out of the way, to let that shared field emerge strongly. And then there's one more I'll talk about, but yeah. you with me so far? Yeah, and real quick, spaciousness, you know, that is the darkness, right? That's the darkness we're talking about is like, like you said, the space of, of creation and growth, darkness, it's all one. Yes, you've got it. Spaciousness, fertile emptiness, we often talk about it in meditation as. And the backdrop of interconnection, um, it's something we feel in our bodies through a more meditative way of life. So the next thing I would name is just an inquiry that I really encourage for everyone, and I have certain Dharma talks about this posted on my website, about the misunderstandings we have around special versus non-special as a duality, hmm. and some of the ways in the dominant paradigm there can be a sense that we have to do something to be special, to prove we're special. We have to make sure we're maintaining this separate self that appears to be special. <laughs> we forget the extraordinary nature of ordinary self in a paradigm that's been so embedded by capitalism, uh, colonialism, patriarchy, disconnect from nature, and how this ties together is it all adds to the message, even if it's subconscious, that I'm lovable based on what I do and how I perform, hmm. right? Yeah. Rather than simply because essence, true nature is innately lovable, innately powerful. So 
waking up to the power of ordinary self <laughs> is one of the most freeing things there is recognizing the extraordinary nature wow. of ordinary self and how that translates into leadership is that's a ton of ego you can then let go of a ton wow. of doing and working to try to appear a certain way or try to prove yourself when you really get with every cell in your body that um, the power of who you are comes from uh, doing nothing but being and then everything else is the icing on the cake so we're, we already dove into a, some big topics but i hope this is um I like it's perfect I like, to listeners. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. I love diving in with the big bang. And I think it's just what you said is leadership, right? You know, so much of what's happening in the world is we got so many people who have been driving on ego, just like you said, and, and can't separate that. And I'm happy that you are, you know, part of this voice of bringing people together. And I can feel that in you. Now, do you think you were you were you born right with the with the path of endarkment or was it something that you feared and then sort of had like a dark night of the soul and jumped into or were you just sort of always open to that vast space? Thank you. You know, in the book I write about just to give context the need in medicine of a path of endarkenment alongside enlightenment in a world where the dominant paradigm has been so conditioned to uh, hold light as so much more valuable than dark and to think practice in life is about pushing away the dark to get to the light. And we won't go too much into that right now. But for me personally, I've certainly always been on the spiritual path. I talk in the book about my dad as my first spiritual teacher as a contemplative Christian in a mixed Jewish Christian household who introduced me to the writings of teachers ranging from Lao Tzu to Krishnamurti at a wow. really young age. But it was certainly um, always part of my essence. And I had to go through a period of maybe first trying, though I didn't try too hard, to fit in a bit to the dominant paradigm <laughs> before <laughs> recognizing that that felt uh, untrue for me and exhausting. And so my path led me to becoming a Zen Buddhist monk when I was 26 and to in part doing that because the projects I was involved in as a young person to be of service to the world around environmental and social justice, I just saw how much the human ego seemed to get in the way of good intentions, of oh, powerful gosh, so intentions, much. and also ruin the fun. Yeah. Of, uh, Wait, is that? At, yeah. Sorry, at 26, is that when you did your first um, silent retreat? No, I actually did my first silent retreat just after high school. Wow. Um, I began a daily meditation practice. Just a short story. When I did my first silent retreat, I remember it was so powerful for me that at that young age, I said at the end of it, um, from here on out, I'm going to meditate two hours every single day. <laughs> and that's often what people do. And that's, of course, how ego comes in to kind of uh, try to take the reins of practice. And so that lasted a few weeks and then <laughs> dwindled out. And today I always encourage people, pick an amount when you're starting off, cut it in half, and then cut it in half again. Start with something really small and just let yourself 
through not being overly demanding and not putting it in the hands of ego, organically fall in love with practice. And then it comes not from a sense of should that you show up each day, right? But from your love of awareness. Yeah. So when we're in that deep meditation spot, when we're in that, you know, the quietness, then we can really get in touch with the darkness. And I say on my show all the time, I say you have to have both. You have to have both somehow coexist in the everyday, right? The light and the dark, just like you said, the endarkment, enlightenment. That's why I was so excited to have you have you on here. And and why is it so important that both need to exist? Thank you. Well, both are equally part of the human experience. And so if we're believing uh, an idea or philosophy that says the dark is bad and I need to push it away to get to or focus on the light, we're diminishing one half of our human experience. Mm -hmm. We're diminishing one half of nature and consciousness. And just to pause and really open listeners up to the spirit of possibility, I invite in my book that people really question their limiting assumptions about darkness as something to fear or that's bad or to reject, and then really begin to inquire what is the luminous darkness, what certain wisdom traditions have pointed to as the divine darkness, darkness as a spiritual teacher. And darkness takes many shapes in partnership with light, everything from the partnership of yin as dark, yang as light. So think of the active, productive element of light and summer versus the yin and quiet and slow of winter. And yes, we often tend to prefer summer and productivity, right? Darkness represents the mystery, the unknown, that Mm. which we can't make sense of. And again, we tend to think I need to understand rationally and make sense of things to see clearly. So I invite a deeper seeing with the heart. And darkness also represents, um, of course, in the emotional realm, our shadows and those parts of us, which are seeming inconsistent with how we see ourselves or want to be seen. And as you know, well, the incredible invitation, the deeper power we get invited into by embracing shadow, by befriending shadow. So there's a whole section about befriending the night because this has certainly been such a rich and life-affirming part of my own path and those I teach. Like in welcoming in like your your own journey, how has that grown with embodying the endarkenment and the enlightenment at the same time? Thank you in so, so many ways. Um, I'll share that I talk in the book about when I first got the calling to write Luminous Darkness. And for a moment, I was like, hmm, really life? This is what you're asking me to do right now? Because this is going to be a pretty, pretty intense uh, project. But I looked within and I recognized that darkness really has been my greatest teacher. Whether it's, you know, darkness as the, the yin, slow, restorative, aspect of nature, that spaciousness we talked about, darkness as um, shadow and difficulty and pain and grief I've experienced in this life. And 
darkness that I experienced in many years as an activist coming from a family of activists. Um, and for me, one of the, there's many ways I could respond to your question, but one of the most direct responses is that there was a point in my early meditation practice where I observed myself trying to cut parts of me off. Hmm. Like what <laughs> in parts? To, oh, uh, there's a whole book, a whole chapter written about anger. When I first arrived to the monastery, expecting that I might drop into a peaceful place, uh, I met a part of me. I then named Electra. She was electric with anger. Oh, yeah. And I had never let her fully out and gotten to know her. Um, Were you scared really, to let her out? Yeah. Yes, at first I believed stories that um, it was something to be ashamed about. Mm -hmm. I had always seen myself as an easygoing person and had really not been aware of a, what I uncovered as an ancestral anger, an anger on behalf of life and the injustices I had witnessed, an anger that became it held with love and friendship an incredible source of resiliency and power. And when I say power, I mean shared power, not power over. But when we're not invited to, for instance, befriend an energy, it's all just energy. Emotion is energy in motion, like anger. Then we aren't able to step into that greater resiliency on behalf of life. And of course, beyond anger, people could, could point to grief, um, they could point to anxiety. There's so many things people consider shadow parts <laughs> mm -hmm. that uh, jealousy that are absolute spiritual messengers and guides when we meet them in a more open and inclusive way. So one of the great teachings of endarkenment is there's nothing to exclude. <laughs> mm. The darkness includes everything. It welcomes. It's the field. You know, the night sky rests its blanket equally over everything. Um, and we learn spiritual practice as a path of welcoming and including everything in the already existing field of awareness that does not judge. This is our natural state. Wow. I love that. And I feel and I feel that. And so people that you work with or friends or family or whoever that says, hey, I'm really like scared. I there's a block there when I go to look at the darkness when I go in there. How do you tell them to start? Where do they where should they begin? Yeah, it really needs to begin with compassion. Everything in spiritual mm. practice, everything on the path is navigated with compassion first. And so we allow ourselves to begin to turn towards rather than away that which we f label uncomfortable, that which we label dark, that which scares us, not in a force myself to way, but it's best described as holding hands with the one who is afraid, like you'd hold hands with the scared child while you would also yeah. say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm right here with you. You can do this because I'm here with you. So together, let's do this. And you befriend aspects of your own self the same way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, what felt you? What felt called to write this book? You know, where were you in life when you said, "Hey, you know what? I need to write Luminous Darkness. I need to share with the world." Yeah, I had not expected this would be my third book. I were you done with writing before this one came? Were you or like kind of feeling like, oh, I don't know if I feel like writing anymore? Or were you oh, just open to I it? knew I had more books in me, and I still do. Yes, I can <laughs> but, feel that um, in you. I didn't know what the topic would be, and I was actually guiding a retreat um, at Esalen and Big Sur, where I sometimes teach, and I had a mystical experience under the night sky at about midnight. <laughs> oh, do tell. And this was an experience where I felt uh, I was in a state of deep meditation and I had never had such an experience of feeling contact from uh, the realm of, of stars. Wow. And it was very direct. It was very palpable. People listening, you know, often when you have that kind of experience, it's, it occurs beyond words, but through feelings, metaphor, uh, vision. And it kind of put me for a, a spin over the next three weeks. I was in this sort of cocoon of transmission and I was receiving deep uh, transmission about the teachings of darkness. And it was so um, perfect for me because it was a realization that so much of my path had been informed by the luminous darkness, by the medicine of darkness. And that in today's world, you know, we're not only experiencing physically the overlighting of planet Earth, which more and more articles are coming out about, but also I would suggest the overlighting of human consciousness yeah. <laughs> at a time when uh, and darkening, dropping more into the deeper, darker undercurrents of our experience, more into our willingness to feel with and to navigate life beyond the rational mind. Uh, it's just so important. So it really made great sense to me. And right after that retreat, while in this sort of cocoon of transmission, I led another retreat in Santa Cruz and it was on the closing night then a millennial asked a question about navigating the pain of our world mm. through our practice. And I heard the term endarkenment, which I had never heard before. I never heard it, honestly, until your book. And I was like, this is the most amazing term. Like yeah, the perfect word for it. There. Yes, absolutely. And so that was when the direction of the book really took off. <laughs> so when she had said that, you were like, oh, wait, this, this, like something clicked in your mind. You've got it. You've got it. And it was just so interesting because this, this occurred before the pandemic, but the oh, wow. completion of the book um, all happened in my uh, cabin on a creek the first year of the pandemic. And it felt really symbolic. And while wow, you were in total solitude and darkness yourself and the world kind of was as well, right? It was all taking off. Wow. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did it take you to write that when you did it take you the you, whole year? Did you write over that? Were you going back? Well, and forth? just to give people the big picture, some some authors get to a 
go away on long riding retreats and just focus. When I say cabin on the creek uh, from that cabin, I'm also teaching bi-weekly meditation groups, leading mm -hmm. retreats, <laughs> working with organizations. It's a, it's a full plate of, of service and writing was part of that. But um, it got completed, yeah, maybe a, a year ago. That's and awesome. It's really fun. It just came out this month. So really Yay. have enjoyed hearing the impact on people. Yeah. Well, I, I know I loved it. And so for this being your third book, is this already becoming one of your favorites or do you have favorites? I'm not sure if I <laughs> have favorites. And one of the things I talk about in the book is kind of a freedom from hierarchical perception that yeah. learning to see in the dark or see with the heart invokes for us because yeah. we're so conditioned. Uh, better, worse, good, yes, bad, higher, yes. lower. <laughs> just allow it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So it's just like getting rid of all of those, all of that terms. I, I kind of love that, right? Just allowing it to flow. Get rid of what's something better, worse, more often. Just allowing it just to be. Well, think about what's here when we mm. allow it all to be is, number one, uh, just recognition of the sacred in everything. <laughs> recognition yeah. of the sacred in everything. So each of those books was a completely sacred process that was yeah. perfect to that moment in time and in yeah. my growth and in what I felt uh, my medicine yeah. was for the world, but also a recognition that awareness, our natural awareness, compassionate awareness, it does not see through hierarchical perception ever. That's an overlay we put onto things. It always sees, perceives, um, from acceptance and welcome and recognition of the sacred. Awareness does not judge. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, over time, right, I know with myself, when we work with awareness, when we're gaining consciousness into to all of this, everything we talked about, um, it it becomes easier, right? And I'm saying this for my listeners and some people I work with astrology, like, oh, I don't know, but each each day, right, this full embodiment, eventually it's sort of, in the end feels so good living in that flow that eventually I'm, I'm guess I'm getting at, is that how you felt eventually you want to wake up every day and live this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, perhaps when people begin, sometimes people can come to practice and make it a should or like mm. good people do this, or this will help fix me. This will be a path <laughs> of self-improvement or I'll finally get to the light and push away the dark. But uh, we fall in love with awareness for sake of awareness. We recognize yeah. awareness as who we really are. We recognize it as natural state. And it's um, not about something we have to do to get there or strive or effort it's about efforting less my weekly meditation group is called remembering the already awakened state mm. so again this notion of getting out of the way letting go of the mental effort and even the part of us who kind of measures where am i on this quote-unquote linear path <laughs> am i there yet <laughs> am, I, am i getting there we just learn to to practice for love of awareness because nothing is more uh more life affirming than the life yes oh my gosh yes now you do a lot of treats still like for do you lead them do you still go to the monastery 
Thank you. Yes, I lead retreats um, in two forms, both residential and person retreats. So, for instance, we've got a New Year's retreat coming up in Big Sur oh, and cool. another retreat on luminous darkness at the end of January. We'll have a retreat out here in North Carolina where I live. Uh, there's many residential retreats, but also online experiences, which I truly love. People don't need to travel and use gas and can be at home in your own abode and come together, conscious community. And um, the monastery where I originally trained uh, closed. Uh, you know, so many centers are in flux and change, both due to the impact of climate change and the ecosystem therein, or due to fires. Uh, a lot of places I'm aware of on the West Coast have been in flux and change, oh, wow. but uh, I certainly still still engage and always will in retreats myself. Yeah. What would yeah. you say was the when you were in those silent retreats with yourself? What was maybe one of the biggest lessons or one of the biggest things that you gained from that that still you know comes to your heart every day? There's so many ways I could answer this, and there's just two things that feel alive right now. Uh, one is that when we surrender to, when we rest in deep listening as a way of life, and I think meditation as listening to life as it unfolds moment by moment, uh, we awaken to the conversation that the whole cosmos wants to have with us. Before that realization, many people are, are limited or uh, caught in conversation with their own conditioned mind. <laughs> and um, it's incredibly, incredibly powerful to wake up to the conversation all of life wants to have with us. So living in silence, of course, in this field of non-distracting, deep listening, uh, that became crystal clear. And number two, just going back to something I talked about earlier in this conversation. In the dominant paradigm today, there is such an assumption that in order to be lovable, in order to prove ourselves, in order to just not be rejected in a hierarchical society in order to succeed. We have to um, constantly be doing, producing, mm -hmm. uh, managing life, uh, mentally efforting our way through life, but, but really doing and performing is um, somehow a big message in human consciousness. And the invitation to let all of that go, to let that go and really rest in the darkness of non-doing, of pure being. And just to give people the full picture, we were physically doing a lot at the monastery. We had a whole retreat center to run. But I'm talking about doing more as a um, practice of mental effort. Um, we can actually let life do a whole lot through us when we surrender into flow and get out of the way. 
But the relief of recognizing for me that was it was only when I stopped doing and stopped trying to, uh, I don't know, be who I thought I was supposed to be and prove myself and get somewhere. It was only when I stopped <laughs> mm. and just settled into the moment and my connection with the earth and its wholeness that I could fully, fully remember um, uh, unconditional love and the beauty of the essence this being carries that has not a thing whatsoever in any shape or form to do with performing. Wow. Or achieving. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is, that's pretty deep and profound and just so, so so true, you know, and in the way you say it, it seems easy to get there, but it's so it can be so hard. It's like a life of tearing down in order to get there, emptying, right? As you say, emptying in order to get there. Now, for meditation, for any of my listeners who are just starting out, like, do you have any meditation tips? You know, everyone's always saying, Oh, I don't know how to be silent for two minutes in my head. You know, do you have any tips to emptying out that mind? Yeah, well. First, I would say, don't try to empty out your mind. That'll become another form of doing. Mm. I'm trying to empty. Um, so instead, just learn how to rest. Rest in this body supported by gravity and your earth connection in this moment and allow life to be as it is. And there's a practice in my book called Conscious allowing and doing nothing. And one part of developing a practice that's really useful, especially for people who grew up in the doing world I did, is um, to learn how to consciously allow, to learn how to consciously allow this body to be as it is, your emotions to be as they are, the moment to be as it is. So you can even just lie down, forget about sitting meditation for a bit. Give yourself permission for just 10 or 15 minutes at a time to do absolutely nothing. Don't even try to meditate and just consciously allow life to be as it is. That's a good starting point. Wow. Yeah. I love that. That's a great starting point. I love that. That's such a good starting point. And then from there, right, just allow it to flow and be open to however the practice becomes or to whatever the practice becomes. Yeah, it's useful um, after that kind of opening to have a, a daily practice of meditation. Uh, teach both Zen meditation and open awareness meditation. Uh, to have a regular practice, though, where you don't have to sit down and say, what kind of meditation am I doing today? <laughs> just doing your practice keeps it out of the hands of ego and really allows you to, uh, to go deep in awareness. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Thank you. This has been a good, such a good episode. I want to say everything works out right on time, right? The universe is always coming. Two weeks ago on this podcast, I was talking about coming up with a word, a feeling of a word for Libra season. And my word was flow. And trying to allow myself um, 
to just flow throughout life. And and I know a lot of my listeners feel the same way. And then you come on here and it's so much how much you just told me what I needed to hear, right? It feels like we connected for a reason. And I like for my people, you know, my loves that listen to this. And and I heard such a profound message. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Sacred synchronicity. Say always. And I'm telling you, I love this book. I'm excited to give it to some of my clients, have them show luminous darkness. Tell everyone where they can get themselves a copy of this book. Sure. So it's available through Shambhala. It's available through Amazon. If you visit my website, DebraEdenTull.com, there's a number of different retailers listed so you can pick the place that you want to support. And um, I would love to hear from people about how it resonated with you. And you're always welcome to reach out. We have many ways for people to, um, to connect with our community. That is so awesome. I'm going to have all this in the show notes too. your website, things like that. So so it's easy access for people to go find this book. This is a great read. If you guys loved what you heard, and I know all of you did get this book, because this is just a little snippet of what is in this book. This is, you know, what she talks about, the way she goes about it, the way you can take it into your life, a deeper understanding of endarkament is in this book. So make sure you get a copy of this book. This was so good. And what's your social media? Sure, you can find me on Facebook through my full name, Deborah Eden Toll, or Instagram under the name of my nonprofit, Mindful Living Revolution. Mindful Living Revolution. So awesome. Reach out. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in and bringing your wisdom of endarkenment, teaching me that word, which I was just so happy. Perfect word. And thank you again. Do you have any last thoughts you want to say to the listeners? Yeah, I'd love to let people know that starting next year, we'll have a, a year-long journey through Endarkenment, just a, month, a monthly gathering for people who feel called to deepen in this work. And we'll meet online, and you're invited. <laughs> and I just want to thank you for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Now, is that that'll be all that info for that starting next year, that'll be on your website and everything, right? You've got it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eden. Deborah Eden Toll for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this Weekly Awakening podcast. Um, if you have any questions or, again, if you forgot, didn't write down any of the links, feel free to email me and I can get you in touch with Deborah Eden Toll, how to get the book. Um, thank you all for listening. I hope you have a beautiful day and, you know, are open and hopefully this helped open you up to the path of endarkenment. Thank you and love you all. Goodbye.